1: We're an LDS couple who struggled with unwanted pornography in our marriage for many years. What was once our greatest struggle and something we thought would destroy us has become our greatest blessing and triumph.
0: Our hope is that as you listen to our podcast each week, you'll be filled with hope and healing and realize that you too can thrive beyond pornography and create the marriage you have always desired.
1: Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography.
0: We're so glad you're here and we believe in you.
1: Hey, my friends. This is Zach here at Thrive Beyond Pornography. I did something that I think that you guys will be interested in. Through the LDS Life Coach Directory, I was invited to present on Courageous Discipleship as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the topic that I chose, which I think is one that is near and dear to my heart, is I called my talk principles-based discipleship, when the rules damn us. And I think it's an appropriate conversation for anyone who struggles with pornography, but also anyone who in the church is struggling with the way that things are working and how you can actually move from a place where you feel stuck to a place where you can fully be all in and choose courageous discipleship. My presentation is one of over 30. I will link in the description to where you can find this this, uh, this particular course you can also go to my instagram it's in there somewhere but it is a fantastic way to bolster your discipleship through choosing faithfulness and choosing a way to stay within the church in, in a meaningful way not just in a dogmatic way so i i thought i would present that to you because i think it's a it's a wonderful subject and i would also like to offer you an opportunity to have a conversation with Darcy and I this coming Thursday at six o'clock. We are having a free conversation for anybody who's struggling with pornography. If you go to com slash free call, you can register and I will see you on Thursday at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. All right, my friends, without any additional comments. I want to share with you this amazing presentation. Well, I think it's amazing. You guys tell me if it's terrible, but I think it's a great way to think about discipleship within the church. I wanted to share it with you, and thank you for listening to this podcast. Please continue to share it with your friends. We're doing so much amazing work in helping couples thrive beyond pornography. We will talk to you next week. Hi, everybody. My name is Zach Spafford. My wife and I are the hosts of Thrive Beyond Pornography. It's a podcast. You can find it on any of the major podcasts. And I am a pornography coach. That's what I do for a living. I really enjoy it. Sometimes I joke around and I tell people I help uh, people with lighting and positioning, but that's not really true. What I do (laughs) is I help people who struggle with pornography reframe the problem, move beyond pornography. My wife helps those whose spouses struggle with pornography to move beyond betrayal. And then what we do is we help people rebuild their relationships to the one that they actually want, and then we help them become thriving individuals and thriving couples. This Today, I want to talk about principle-based discipleship and when the rules are damning us and when the rules damn us. You're here because you want to be a faithful disciple. My goal is to help you think about rules and principles in an entirely different way that will help you, I hope, and has helped me stay in the gospel and participate in the church fully. Sitting across from our state president, my wife Darcy and I, we had been called in to discuss the dress code that had been given to our daughter for her attendance at girls camp. I had recently been in to renew my temple recommend and had shared my frustration that our young women were saddled with very proscriptive, I think somewhat in, inappropriate lists of what to wear and what not to wear under the guise of safety. That was the term I was given by one person who I spoke with. And our young men's camping list, I kid you not, and I absolutely, I had the documentation on this, it was great. So the the girls, they were told, you know, no leggings, no this, no that, Uh, make sure you wear this, but not that, right? And our young men, their list, I kid you not, said, bring clothes appropriate for camping. So in that conversation, Darcy and I expressed our frustration with the very clear double standard and advocated that rather than telling young women what they wore was dangerous, if instead we could teach them a principled approach to their clothing choices. We were told by the state president that he had asked around and found that there was, in his words, not an appetite for changing the rules citing the guidelines of the For Strength of Youth pamphlet of the time, he had determined that we were going to continue in this vein. Now, I will tell you on a side note, I told him that the For Strength of Youth pamphlet's not doctrine, and he didn't, he didn't care much for that idea either. But frustrated, Darcy and I left that meeting with our stake president, and we decided to teach our daughters what we believed and asked them to, if anyone ever approached them, about their clothing choices, to simply come to me or have that person come to me that if they want to discuss anything about their clothing choices, our daughters were to say, you can go talk to my father. He's willing to have this conversation with you. It's not appropriate for you to have it with me. So from a young age, many of the young women of this church and many, uh, even many Christian denominations have internalized an idea that has a long-term downstream effect in their lives that can become unhealthy And unhelpful as they navigate the deep waters of marriage and really life after being a child. That message seems to be, if you are modest and chaste, you can control the thoughts and feelings of others. That message comes out in things like what a member of our bishop, Rick, said to the girls at camp one year. Where he relayed the story of a young woman wearing a bikini and how that made him feel uncomfortable. I have some ideas about that, and you can message me if you want to talk about them. Uh, another way that that idea comes out is the message that message is lived in moments when we ask our daughters to change because someone from church is coming over and their take top isn't appropriate in in the longer term, I see it in the sense of despair and distrust that wives have when they have done everything right they've been modest they were chased before their marriage and uh, within their marriage only to find out that their spouse has been viewing pornography they think i don't understand how come he is doing this when i have done all the right things when we teach obedience in particular obedience to arbitrary rules as the most important way that we can interact with our agency and those around us we impact a number of key components of agency And we damn ourselves spiritually. When I say that we become damned, I'm referring to the spiritual reality that we cannot progress further than we have so far. Each of us goes through a progression in life. And there are three stages of what's called cognitive agency. Most of us get through the first and into the second. Many of us never get to the third. But really quickly, I'm going to explain what the three stages of cognitive agency are so you can understand what I'm talking about. You don't really need to know these in depth to understand what we're talking about, but it's a good reference point. So I'm going to just touch on it really quickly here. First stage of cognitive agency is fear and punishment. So this is the earliest stage of agency because it is the most base, simplest stage. And people who live in this stage, all they care about is what's going to happen to me if I don't behave, if I don't follow the rules. So you can think of this as your three-year-old If I don't eat my vegetables, I don't get dessert. That's fear and punishment. If I don't clean my room, I don't get to go out to play. That stage is an important foundation that most of us need to go through in order to understand the rest of the world, rest of life. We use that stage as a stepping off point to move into stage two, which is roles and rules. This stage is the stage that most people live in. In this place, we are pretty much always in reference to the rules and roles that we have been taught by our family. So whether we're rebelling against those roles or rules or adhering to them, it's out of obligation. And it's always in reference to the roles and rules. Should is an extremely common idea in this stage. I should do this. I shouldn't do that. Uh, This should be different. This shouldn't be that way, whatever it is this is the way so those are the two sides of the of the adhering and rebelling this is the way that we think about what a role and the rules surrounding that role are all about most of us live in a rules and roles position Uh, we go to work uh, as a manager in a business i am working as that manager these are my rules that i have to follow and this is the role that i'm playing if we are rebelling say against church, we're saying that role is something I'm unwilling to take on and I don't want to live by those rules. But it's always in reference to them rather than what is in the third stage. And I'm going to get to that in a sec, but each of these stages, each of these first two stages is actually required for good societal functioning. Because without these stages everything becomes chaos. and We don't want that. Schools, government, work environments and church really could not function without these and without people being able to interact with the world from these two stages. The last stage is integrity, meaning an integrated self who can internally reference through an established self-worth, which is infinite. The last stage is really difficult to get to because we are damned by rules this is what I mean by that. We think that the rules are going to save us. How many of us have said, just just tell me what to do? How How many times have you thought, just tell me how to go through this? Just tell me what I'm supposed to do in this place. What happens with most rules at some point is that they fail us. And if we are in reference to these rules and we are consistently looking to them to solve our problems by giving us a guideline or guidance in how to resolve everything in our lives, the rules will eventually fail us. It happens every time. There's no situation where a rule will always work. There's no reality where rules are absolute. And this can be problematic because when a rule fails us, we question our faith often as Latter-day Saints, we think in all or nothing terms. I don't know if you've ever said this to someone, or if you have thought it, or it's been said to you. If Joseph Smith is a prophet, then the gospel is true. The church is true. The Book of Mormon is true. We have a living prophet. If this, then that. The truth is, those running the church are capable administrators. They're amazing people. Often they're asked to do very difficult jobs and administer in the gospel. My state president is a man just like that. He's a a, people like him. He is a capable administrator and he is by all accounts, a spiritual person, but he's just a man. And here's the truth. I'm standing here. I'm telling you all these things. I might be sounding like I have all the answers, but I don't. Because I am just a man. And my state president and I, we have differing opinions on what the rules need to be around, in particular, modesty. I see there is an opportunity for two very important solutions to help us stop being damned by the rules. Because what happens with the rules is that we always need an exception. I'll tell you an example of my own life. When I was a young missionary, I was serving in Rome, Italy. Well, I was never in Rome, but I was serving in a little town called Nuoro on the island of Sardinia in Italy. As I was walking down the street, this is my first area, my first companion, I believe, if I remember correctly. And we're walking down the street and this woman comes out of a cathedral, out of a Catholic church, and she's crying. She's deeply upset. Now, the rule is you never, ever... Hug anybody of the opposite sex. It's in the white handbook. If you remember this from your own mission, or maybe you've had a missionary go out and you've read that that white handbook, you're not to have contact with the opposite sex in any real and meaningful way. And yet, I saw this woman who was deeply distraught, and as a young missionary, my very first instinct was to go up and hug her. Now that rule failed, because the rules always fail, but the principle succeeded. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to offer you two ideas, two solutions that I think are valuable ways that you can approach the church in a way that you can still participate in the gospel. So this is what I do so that I can approach the church in a meaningful way so that I can participate in the gospel for myself. The first idea that I want to offer you is that and is more valuable than or. And is more valuable than or. The second idea that I want to offer you is that we must be willing to let go of rules, teach principles, and then make space for the inevitable differences in how people apply those rules. So let me start with and is more valuable than or. Most people think in or. Just like when we talked about the the prophet Joseph Smith, either he is a prophet or he's not. What if instead we think about it this way? Joseph Smith was a prophet. And I don't agree with everything he did. Or I can believe the Book of Mormon is true and not believe everything that modern day prophets say and still be a faithful member. Now, let me let me take that sentence here for a, me- a moment. I can believe the Book of Mormon is true or not believe everything is a, uh, everything modern day prophets say. I can I can believe the Book of Mormon is true or not believe everything that modern-day prophets say. It's interesting. The idea here is that when we use and in the place of or, we can more fully open ourselves up to integrated ways of thinking. Sometimes those integrated ways of thinking or thinking in integrity-based ideas, they, those things don't always match up 100%. The cool thing about humans is that we can hold two ideas in our head that don't always match up entirely perfectly. Here's another idea. Here's another uh, and statement. I can sustain the prophet and not always follow his advice and still choose my faith community. Now, for many people who struggle with taking the vaccine for whatever reason, and I'm not making a I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but for many of those people who struggled with taking the vaccine, they struggled therefore with the the profit. They found it very incongruous that they could have this idea that the vaccine is bad and they're supposed to sustain the profit because what they felt is either I have to sustain the profit or I'm a bad member of the church. And really what they meant was, I have to follow what the prophet says, or I'm a bad member of the church. But I can sustain someone and not always do what they say. This is what it looks like to grow up. You can sustain your parents as your parents and not always do what they tell you to do. But that position is an integrity-based position. That's a position that says, internally, I am looking for the answers that make the most sense for me and still choosing closeness with my friends, my family, my prophet, my faith community, whatever that looks like. And here's here's the thing. We can have rules and lean more heavily on principles. I think a lot of us grew up, especially as Latter-day Saints, in a rules-based organization. But we can live a principal life and ignore rules. All of those are available to us. This is what it means to take a step away from allowing a role or rules to govern your life and position yourself in such a way that you are now capable of living the life that you believe is most effective and choosing closeness with your faith community. When you can choose closeness with with your faith community and not agree with everything it says, then you are in a position of of self-integrity, self-validation, and you're no longer looking externally for them to say to you, Oh, you're okay, you're one of us. So let's set that one aside for a moment, because I think it's a really great one. I also want to offer this idea. We as a community must be willing to fight for an idea that I think is really important. And this is my personal way of looking at it. Maybe it won't work for you. But I think it's valuable. We must be willing to let go of rules, teach principles and make space for the inevitable differences and how people apply those principles. So I want to tell you a story. My wife and I, we did a fireside, and we, we love doing firesides. We do them for free. We think they're really valuable. We talk about pornography in a way that is entirely different than anybody that you've ever spoken to about pornography. And the people who invite us, they say, this has been the absolute best conversation I've ever heard about pornography in my 70 years in, in the church. That's a, that's a real story, a true story. We were giving a fireside and we we're talking about earrings. And this man who was in the audience in the group, he said, hey, can I share a story with you? I said, absolutely. And his story was essentially this. About the time that President Hinckley offered the rule that one earring was appropriate, he was in an elders quorum in Iowa while he was going to chiropractic college. And Elder Oaks came and sat in in what I think at the time was called PEC, but I think it's called uh, ward council now. And in that PEC meeting, Elder Oaks shared this understanding because they asked, you know, where did this rule come from? And he said, we had been getting so Elder Oaks said we had been getting letters to the church headquarters about how many earrings was the appropriate number of earrings. And so we came up with a rule. And if you're old enough, you might remember this. I remember it distinctly. I was at that fireside where Elder Hinckley said, or President Hinckley at the time said, uh, we take no position on the wearing of a single pair of earrings. I think that's almost exactly how he said it. Maybe it's a paraphrase, but I think it's pretty close. Now, that's an interesting statement. It's an interesting idea. Because it is, there's a principle behind it. But it is not a principled rule. Uh, Let me make a distinction here for you. The principle behind one earring is what we find in the For Strength of Youth pamphlet. And it talks about this in, I think, a really meaningful way. But the chapter heading is Your Body is Sacred. Now, that is the principle behind One Earring is Right. Now, before the new For Strength of Youth pamphlet had come out, our daughter, Alyssa, had come to us and said, you know, she's 16, I want to get a second ear piercing. And initially my wife said no. And as my wife thought about that, she decided that the reason she said no was that she believed that Lissy would be judged and we would be judged as a family if Lissy had a second pair of earrings. Because she was an older girl in our ward and it's important to provide a good example. And there's this rule out there that one pair of earrings is the rule. So we we would be judged. And that wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't want to deal with that. As we thought about that, and as Darcy thought about that in particular, she decided that she was going to change her position. She was going to go to Alyssa. And this is what we did. We taught Alyssa, here's the principle, your body is sacred. Now, we will support you in whatever you choose. But you need to understand that people may judge you and you have to be willing to deal with that. Now, she's a pretty strong girl. She's an amazingly wonderful young woman and she decided to get her second ear piercing. Absolutely nothing wrong with that in my mind, but she knew both the principle and the possible consequences and she made her decision. Then the New for Strength of Youth pamphlet came out and there is no rule about how many earrings. Which I think is appropriate. Now, imagine if just for a second, if when President Hinckley and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and the First Presidency were to first receive those letters and they thought about it and had this discussion and decided, okay, what does it mean to teach our people? the gospel when it comes to how many earrings? What if instead, and I'm not saying that they're wrong for what they did, because I'll be, believe me, when you run an institution, your goal is to make it as easy as possible for people to participate in that institution. So if I can just simply put out a rule and be done with it, then that is an institutionally valid position to take. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if instead they had said, we've been getting these letters, Many of you are asking, how many earrings is the appropriate number of earrings? And the answer is, we don't know. The brethren and I, we don't have an answer to the absolute perfect number of earrings. First of all, we're men. We don't wear earrings. Even if you're a man and you do wear earrings, none of us do. So we don't know from personal experience. But let us teach you the principle. Your body is sacred and having a sacred body means that you are going to be offered and tempted to engage in a variety of activities that may not fit into your values or into the idea that your body is sacred. And so therefore, what we would like you to think about as you decide whether or not one earring, no earrings, 50 earrings is the right number of earrings is, am I treating my body? in a way that I am absolutely comfortable with, if I were to have this conversation with my Heavenly Father and asking him, am I treating this body that you gave me in a sacred and emotionally intelligent way? What if that's what President Hinckley had done instead? Can you imagine how empowering that would have been for so many young women and for anyone who is thinking about, well, how many earrings should I have? Can you imagine how much more true that would have been? Now, here's the problem with this. This is the very difficult reality of letting people make decisions based on principles is that it will look different. It will look different for you than it does for me. What I might find sacred and valuable, you may not. What I might find appropriate and in keeping with my covenants with the gospel, you may not. Now, there's probably some leeway within that. Is 56 earrings an appropriate number of earrings to have in your ear? I don't know. But it might be excessive. And the question you ask yourself when you go to do that is, why am I doing this? And am I doing it because it helps me keep my body sacred or am I doing it to avoid something, get the attention of someone, whatever it is? It doesn't really matter what it is, but am I doing it for a reason that is beyond my internal integrity? And if that's the answer, you may want to hold off. But this is the difficult part, and this is the part that I don't think my stake president understood at the time, I don't think that the brethren have often understood when they've offered us rules, is that being willing to let go of rules and teach and live in a principled way means that there has to be space. There has to be a place for the differences in how individuals apply the principles that they've been taught. Now, some of you might hear this and you might think, well, no, the church has given these guidelines and these guidelines are absolute. But if that's the truth, then whenever the church changes the guideline, whatever that rule is, then is it not true anymore? And I, I know this is a tough mental space to be in because we have, I have, I S this is how I started learning the gospel. If this is true, then all the other things are true. But instead of thinking that way, instead of being people who believe that the gospel is true and it's the only way and it's absolutely uh, nothing that has been sent down from on high is uh, wrong or incorrect in any way. If we think about it in real terms, is this right? And is it for me? And can I sustain this? Or am I willing to allow this to exist without me participating in it? Then we start to actually own our participation within the church. We own our agency. Instead of abdicating it to a set of rules and roles or uh, position ourselves out of fear to not receive punishment, we look internally, we value our own wholeness and self-worth, and then... We approach that principle and we say, how can I live this principle in an integrated and meaningful way for me? That's tough. It's difficult to do that because it, what it means is uncertainty in a lot of people's minds, because if I can follow a rule and I always follow that rule, and be hundred percent of following that rule, then I can be saved for sure. And who doesn't want to be saved for sure? Let me give you another story about teaching principles. So our daughter, again, Alyssa, she's an amazing do- woman. She came to Darcy one day and she said, Mom, is this dress too short? Now, a lot of moms might say, okay, well, let's measure or raise your hands and see if it goes too high or this or that, whatever it is, and I'll decide for you. Instead, my wife said, and I'm eternally grateful for the insight that my wife has into the mind of young women. She said, I don't know. How do you feel about it? So my daughter, she kind of hemmed and hawed. She went back to her room and changed and came out. My wife said, oh, you changed. How come? And my daughter said, because I didn't feel comfortable in this in the dress. It was too high when I raised my hands. Okay. I don't know too many people who go around raising their hands at church, but it's fine. It is what it is. And that was her decision. And in allowing her to make that decision, what we did is we didn't teach her a rule that she had to follow. And we didn't make her think that she was going to be in trouble if she made the wrong decision. What we did is we allowed her the space to be the owner and the author of her own destiny of her own way of dealing with who she wants to be. That is what progress looks like. That is what spiritual progress looks like in a real and meaningful way. And if you want to stop being damned, you have to be willing to set the rules aside and live in a principled way. Now, you might come up with rules that help you live principles. That's totally fine. But if you reference the rules as the end-all, be-all, eventually they will fail you. And you've probably experienced that if you're watching this. So I want you to see that. I hope that has been helpful. Darcy and I would love to talk about these things with, uh, with people. Uh, so feel free to reach out to me. You can email me at Zach, Spafford, Zach at ZachSpafford.com. You can also get a free gift from Darcy and I, uh, which is a free consult. So if you're struggling with pornography uh, in your relationship, as a member of the church, and you want to eliminate pornography from your life forever, go to com slash work with Zach. You can set up a free 30 minute consult with me. I would love to meet with you. I'd love to help you begin to live in a principled and meaningful way so that you can stop being damned in the most spiritual sense of that word and start progressing to becoming the person that you want to be. All right, my friends, have a great week.